Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys. Just a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. You're lucky you got me here today. <laughs> Why is that? Because I have to push so hard on the door that goes to the studio to get it open. <laughs> oh, is it's it? totally swole from rain. <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad. You have to put like your entire side body into it. Like you have to like break it down basically. Oh yeah. My back door is uh is basically unusable when any amount of water comes out of the sky. And the back door on my garage, we discovered last year during the rainy season, is an interior door and is not weatherized in any way. It's just a it's a hollow core like piece of shit, you know, stamped out in a factory and delivered to Home Depot hollow core piece of shit door. <laughs> Did I mention it was a piece of shit and that was hollow? (laughs) I went to the back of this building to like go in and get something out of my toolbox last year after a particularly heavy rain. Uh And I did that thing where I was like turning the door handle and pushing on Uh the panel of the door with my hand. Yeah, like a normal person would. And my hand just like made a permanent handprint in it (laughs) because it was so... It's like that metal thing full of pins that you stick your hand in. (laughs) Yeah, and then you leave it there at the Uh sharper image and go, cool, the next person that comes into this store, you're going to see old Harrison's hand. (laughs) (laughs) And I still haven't replaced it because it's like a weird size. And God, what a nightmare. God, (laughs) fucking sucks. (laughs) (laughs) That is just low down, dirty shit. The idea that you put an interior door in an exterior spot and sell it. (laughs) You shouldn't, you shouldn't be able to sell a house in that condition. Yeah. Shouldn't I sue the person I bought my house from just based on that? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what to make of that, man. Like these houses just don't have rain as part of the plan and their design. You know, now Los Angeles did never anticipate that something like this would happen. <laughs> you can tell I'm a real Angelino because I've used my beach towels more for sopping up rainwater <laughs> on my door thresholds than actually going to the beach. <laughs> I was going to ask you if you had used a new towel every single time you put a towel down over the last few days, because this is coming out weeks from now, but mm-hmm. we've had. Historic rain here in Los Angeles. Again, multiple times this year already that we've had historic rain. Yep. You were telling me about this cycle of towels. If you had to put a new towel down every time you did put a towel down during this cycle, how many towels do you think you went through total? Well, I don't want this to be a scandal, but we do have quite a few beach towels. (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing okay in the beach towel department, Ben. (laughs) All right, you don't need to you don't need to make us come across as rich assholes when we're about to start pitching our our show in a fundraiser, okay? I'll have you know I have four beach towels. <laughs> no, no, stop. People are going to think we're out of touch and we're 
<laughs> We're living in a an ivory tower where we don't know what the plight of the common man is even like. The absorbency of a beach towel sufficient enough to use one at a time over the course <laughs> of the day. So I would just switch them out every morning. <laughs> and uh, towel laundry occurred on Monday. So All right. did them up. Got some freshies in here. It, I don't think it's supposed to rain anytime soon. I think we're past the worst of it. Oh, really? I, th- I think where I am anyways, there's going to be more rain tomorrow. So. Oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> I will go ahead and keep beach towels underneath the doors in my studio. I would say, uh, yeah, give it another day or two. <laughs> God, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> You know what? It's something we can't control, Ben. The weather. Yeah. Yeah. You can't control the weather. You can't control how you feel. No. And that's how we pivot into today's episode, right? <laughs> wow. It's a lot like love. Hmm. Yeah. You can't choose who you love. You can make choices with respect to your career. That's true. All of those things factor in to season five, episode 16. You know what Wendy calls it? Episode 16 in the schedule. So that's what we're calling it. That's uh, from her lips to God's ears. Yeah. The disease. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. <laughs> Our cold open is a push in on a terrifically long ship. Yeah. It is so long. Ship is... Uh really intimidating in the length department. It's not particularly girthy, but it's long. I want to see this thing next to Spaceball 1. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I want to see that... You've seen that poster, right? The Ships of Science Fiction, and it just compares all of the scale. Yeah. You never see Spaceball 1 on that poster. What are they doing leaving Spaceball 1 off of that poster? It would probably turn that poster into, like, the Michael Jordan Wings poster. Right. That's just very horizontal. Do you think that they originally were planning on having Spaceball 1 on the poster, and then (laughs) it made all the other ships look so tiny by comparison that it's just, like, it's an issue of scale. It'd be like showing my house next to the Burj Khalifa as like you know it's like it's not useful to put those two things up next to each other yeah and also which version you know do you want to do because most of those ships have a pretty horizontal configuration on that poster but if you do Mega Maid it's going to be hard to compare right this is why you don't want to look in the next stall over you might have a Spaceball 1 situation <laughs> Over there at the next urinal. (laughs) Yeah. Spaceball one, uncut and 420 friendly. Yeah. We push all the way into this thing, into the window of a crew quarters on what appears to be like an apartment. And there is some urgent makeout happening here with Ensign Kim. Yeah. And a person we haven't met before. And it's the sort of makeout. I'm going to describe it, Ben, and you probably don't know what this is like, but like <laughs> you make out with a person and like the entire world falls away. Like nothing matters. Not your com badge that's been thrown across the room, not the weird patches of skin on the other person that you haven't really thought too much about, or the weird patch of skin on you as you disrobe. Like you just don't care. You don't think about it. 
Uh-huh. You're saying I haven't experienced anything like that in my romantic life? No, I'm sure you have. Especially the skin patch part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, uh, the throwing the combat away thing really brought back the suck disc episode of TNG. I was like... Precisely. <laughs> yeah. Like, is this lady going to love him up and get him addicted to something? Don't let her put anything on your face. Or is she going to turn him into a hornitoad? <laughs> you recognize this lady? I don't. She's one of the sirens from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Wow. Tremendous call. Yeah. Now that you mention it, I do. Yeah. Very attractive. Great looking lady. Uh, another conquest for Ensign Kim. Something about it reminds me of being in the womb. Get up, Harry. Who are you? Harry Kim. Parents must be very proud. Who are you? They come as come as a pair. Who are you? Harry Kim. Who else is she supposed to get chummy with? Harry Kim. And your mom? Very proud. Who are you? Harry Kim. I lasted 22 minutes. And your mom? Very proud. Harry Kim. Who are you? Harry Kim. Just another notch in his fucking clarinet. I know. It's uh, it's so unfair. He gets all the ladies. He's smooching with her, and uh, his skin starts to phosphoresce. It looks like it feels really good. Yeah. That's what you look for in a makeout sesh. I mean, now he's going to compare all of the future makeout sessions to this one. Oh, be chasing yeah. that phosphorescent dragon. <laughs> <laughs> After the theme, we learn that these people are the Varro. Yeah. And they've kind of contracted the Voyager. Well, I guess I'm wrong about that. Like, they don't necessarily really like having the Voyager around doing repairs on their warp drive. There seems to be uh, some conflict about this. Yeah, like, they are sort of like the very handy neighbor who invites themselves over and is, like, under your sink, and you're like, I didn't ask for this. Yeah. Yeah, a little too helpful. We have to reconfigure the assembly if we're going to finish this job. Then consider it finished. Aggressively helpful is how the Voyager crew are being. They've been, quote unquote, helping the Varro with their warp drives for a couple of weeks. What do you make of that timeline? Because they risked all of their lives to get a piece of Borg's machinery that knocked how long off of their travels? I think 10 or 15 years, if memory serves. I was drunk. How many side missions of weeks to months do you think they're doing that would just kind of undo that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, are they like, oh man, we're like, (laughs) this is on company time right now. This is awesome. Like we've saved ourselves so much of a trip. I mean, that like the case is made that like we want to get some of their technology in yeah. return for this. Yeah. But like those seem like really long odds based on how the Varro are acting. Exactly. Like if they were really cool to be around, I mean, outside of the Varro that Ensign Kim is kicking it with. Yeah, she seems cool. If all of the Varro were as giving as the one that Ensign Kim has encountered, <laughs> I would understand. But this main Varro, Jipek. Doesn't seem very easy to work with. Doesn't seem like this is a two-way street in terms of help or diplomacy. And Janeway's running around acting like she runs a service station. She's got crud all over her face. Yeah. Whoa, what happened to you? Did you fall into some mud or something? She's looking disheveled. And she's like 
really doing the hard sell about like their cultures being so compatible and they're being like kind of cousin cultures, you know, like yeah. kissing cousins, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> There's a coffee in that cousin. The case there is that the Varro are a generational ship that started much like the Voyager. They were alone and far away from wherever they came from. Mm-hmm. And now they've been at it for 400 years and they've grown and the ship is like huge now. And they've developed their own, you know, culture and ethos. And this dude is the head of that and is working directly with Janeway, who yeah has really like rolled up her sleeves and thrown herself into the role of engineer. She's like, okay, well, we did all the repairs and now it's time to just charge up your warp system. So uh, go ahead and show me where that stuff is. And he's like, you can't do that. That stuff's classified. And she talks him into it by showing him that they have in fact replaced like a whole bunch of other stuff that he didn't think was repairable. He's really impressed and he relents. And uh, this is like, at one point he turns around in this scene and I was like, that's the loaf is just some drawings on the back of their neck. (laughs) That's all that's all that distinguishes them as aliens? Yeah. That could just be like a tattoo that a human that's worried about nubbins could get to like draw the eye there so that people are always looking at the back of their neck just in case. The Star Trek wanted poster has got to be more than just straight on and in profile, right? Right. It's got to be back of the neck. It's got to be behind the ears. <laughs> yeah. It's got to be the chest. Right. It's got to be the knees. Yeah, not everyone keeps their loaf in the same place. Yeah. So uh, they start injecting this warp plasma from Voyager into the Varro ship. Janeway tells this guy to cross his fingers for good luck. And we cut back over to that one lady's quarters where Ensign Kim has been injecting some warp plasma of his own. How romantic. Not so fast, Ensign Kim. (laughs) Make sure she gets her plasma coils charged first. (laughs) She looks like she got charged up, man. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the way she is resting face down on the bed makes it seem as though she has had it absolutely knocked out. (laughs) It really does. And, like, the way he is, like, over at the bum-out window is like, man, like... (laughs) It it appears as though he's feeling some banging remorse. (laughs) It's so intense. Yeah. The bum-out is about him coming to grips with the fact that he is now a rule breaker. Formerly a lifelong never break and now a rule breaker. He was ordered yeah. specifically not to bang any people on the Vero ship. And uh, and that's a rule he is in direct contravention of. Yeah. And what we did earlier, <laughs> I don't know if Starfleet even has a regulation for that. Look at him just being led around by his clarinet. <laughs> He's really in a bad way. Yeah. He doesn't get too far down the mental road of feeling a ton of guilt before he feels something else, like the panic of being late for school. There's a banger (laughs) that they feel in these quarters, and it's this process of the warp engine plasma transfer thing. And Kim is like, oh, fuck, I was supposed to be a part of this. I was supposed to give the book report on the warp engine and plasma transfer thing. Yeah. I love the putting on the wrong pair of pants moment. Yeah. It's great. Everyone's done it. Yeah. Coffee. Black. Coffee. Make it. Make it. Make it yourself. BLT and Paris are doing the transfer when Kim shows up late. And Paris can just tell 
something's off. Yeah. Damn, boy. Smell like sex. And then, like, right afterwards, Tal comes in on the other side. Paris is like, I see what's going on. Yeah. Harry does not want to talk to Tom about this. And uh, they have to shut down the plasma transfer because the bangers are getting more and more intense. And they detect some, like, metallurgical problems on the hull. And now they have to inspect all of the pods for damage, which... Oh, what a job. Having seen a very wide shot of this <laughs> ship means uh, they're really going to be at it for a long time. Yeah, pod inspection is no joke on a ship of this size. <laughs> yeah, but it's worth doing, you know, like uh, once a week in the shower. Yeah. Yeah, you want to roll the pods around in your fingers. Yeah. Check for any bumps. Right. Anything that feels unusual, you know. Mm -hmm. Early detection is key. Back on Voyager, Kim and Paris talk in a corridor on their way back to their own quarters, and Paris kind of resurfaces this feeling he's had about Kim kind of covering something up. Yeah. And when Kim makes with the truth, Paris is totally incredulous. He's like, oh, here we go again. What? Another woman that will be impossible for you to have a relationship with. Like, you really know how to pick them. <laughs> Some people are just like that, Tom. Yeah. As long as they're honest about that, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Not much between Paris and Kim is about the regulatory nature of this problem. Like, this is purely a social sexual topic for them. Paris is not like, whoa, you're going to get the book thrown at you, buddy. Yeah. Take it from me. Yeah. The guy that is ducking and running serpentine between books that are being <laughs> hurled at him constantly. Yeah. <laughs> Like, they demoted me a pip for for doing what I did. How many pips did they take off of you? You don't have a lot of pips to spare, <laughs> yeah. Kim. <laughs> yeah. So Kim gets back to his quarters and immediately sends a coded message to Tal's quarters, yeah. this lady. And uh, I, <laughs> I'm just fascinated by the set design choice of, like, the fact that she has, like, a Vizio television in her quarters. <laughs> in the same way that we noticed, appreciated, and overused Sounds Great from Chicote, Kim's take of I lasted 22 minutes should be snipped and <laughs> used for the rest of the series by us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is a, a sweet little lover's tryst that they're having over FaceTime. Mm -hmm. And it's been established this is a very xenophobic species. But what we also establish in this scene is that they fuck really differently. Yeah. And she and Kim sort of discovered that in real time as they figured that all out. I wasn't expecting something so different. Neither was I. It seems like they're more aware of it now than they were during. Sort of, yeah. Like, <laughs> like they, <laughs> like they'd both had like a couple of Heinekens when they got yeah. in bed, and so like they were kind of just rolling with it. And now, now that they have had some time to process it, they're like, "That was so weird." Kim's like, <laughs> uh, "Flippers, huh?" <laughs> and Tal's like, "What was the?" Uh, <laughs> dangly thing. <laughs> what was that thing that sort of looked like a generational ship, but girthier? <laughs> what was that thing that kind of looked like the clarinet you play? <laughs> they are talking 
a lot about what they did physically. A very sexual conversation for Star Trek, I thought. Yeah, sure it is. And uh, up on the bridge, there's just kind of like some jocular work conversation happening between Paris and Tuvok. Just some like ambient bridge banter. Tuvok detects that an unauthorized transmission is happening and uh, decides to start like zeroing in on who is sending it and to where. And uh, Paris jumps into the middle of this and uh, offers to track it down and uh, scrambles the connection between Harry and Tall so that no one will find out what was really going on. This show does Chakotay so dirty by not (laughs) putting this message up on the view screen. Like, by not embarrassing Kim the way they would embarrass Chakotay, it's not fair. I thought for sure. I was craving this. I was like, please put this on the view screen. Yeah, put it on the one MC in the whole ship here. (laughs) If they had done that, it would have been in the running for one of the most embarrassing moments in Star Trek. Like, Totally. It would have been incredibly cringe. Yeah. Instead, it's just mid. But here's the thing. Nobody rides for Chicote the way Paris rides for Kim, and Paris is doing his boy a solid in this moment. Who rides for Chicote? He rides for thee. <laughs> You're right about that. Like, Janeway would ride for him, but like not- Not like this. To cover up something embarrassing. Yeah. I don't like how all of Chicote's embarrassments are out in the open. It doesn't seem right. Yeah. So good guy Paris really does Kim a solid, and we cut over to the cargo bay where Chicote's running a meeting for a bunch of crew people, and Paris tells Kim how much he owes him. Yeah, it's big, a, a major debt that Harry has now. They're all being given assignments for this uh, micro-fractures detection detail and paired off into teams, and Harry Kim is getting paired off with Seven of Nine, they're headed to the ass lab to use its scanners to try and find problems on the hull of the other ship. Kim's doing that thing where he's way more comfortable talking to a person when they're no longer crushing on them. Like, Kim asks Seven about relationship stuff in a way he never would have Yeah, back when he was interested. And the way Seven just talks about love makes it sound like a disease in a way that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it can feel like that sometimes. She doesn't, you know, place a lot of stock in it. And uh, as they're talking about this, he's getting more and more emotional to the point where he's glowing. And uh, this is when he gets sent off to the infirmary. We should report to 6th A. I was shocked that we were already like a third of the way into an episode called The Disease before the doctor made an appearance in it. (laughs) And what embarrassment I was hoping for on the bridge gets transferred into this scene. Because in Six Bay, the doctor's exam reveals that Kim's crush is quarantine-worthy. And when Kim has to explain the reason for his glowing skin condition, like... Anything you call personal is code for sexual, right? Like personal experience, personal massager. Personal coffee. Right. Coffee's not coffee. Coffee is sex. We had sex. It's all sex stuff. I don't know why Kim is so confident that this is not transmissible also, because he's like, no, you don't have to quarantine me. Nobody else is going to get this. 
Like, you don't know that. You Like, maybe the glowing is a virus that you got from her, you know? And Kim's been quarantined before with awful shit. Yeah. So, I don't know where his confidence is coming from, but... Uh, yeah. Once the captain hears about it, all that confidence is going to go away pretty fast, huh? Yeah. She uh, has him up to her office, and I loved seeing the ship out the window in this yeah, scene. Yeah, I love the perspective. The Vero ship is, like, deep in the background of this shot in a really cool way, and she is livid with the choices that Harry has made, or rather, Harry's clarinet has made. I'm sorry. I don't know what I was thinking. Don't you? I've seen Tom. She's an impressive young woman, beautiful. On this ship, I am the HR department. (laughs) (laughs) And Kim's memorization of the employee rules about fraternizing with aliens is insufficient proof that he should know better. There's a lot of discussion of like what the horniest Star Trek series is and what the horniest Star Trek episode is. And this episode has some of the highest highs, and this is one of the lowest lows. Yeah. Because if you really have to get like your commanding officer and the medical officer to like sign a piece of paper before you can hit it with an alien that you've fallen for, that makes Starfleet seem like such prudes. <laughs> it makes it seem as though Commander Riker was buried in paperwork off screen. Like every time we didn't see Commander Riker, he was filling out sexual forms in triplicate. This is the real complaint Shaw has with Picard and Riker is like they never followed these specific rules. Yeah, it's not just a diplomatic incident. It's a sexually diplomatic incident. And the Varro, you just know, are not going to take kindly to this incident at all. And that's the case Janeway is making is like you obviously like have strong feelings for this girl. That's fine. But like the high level issue is I'm trying to trade our engineering expertise for technology of theirs that will help us get home. And you've put all of that in jeopardy. So now this like delicate situation of us like trying to get the nervous cat of the Varro to warm up to our presence is going to be much harder. Yeah, unfortunately, Janeway is not a Benjamin R. Harrison in the cat department. Right. (laughs) Varro just loves me. (laughs) Varro sees me and wants to get pet, you know? Yeah. There's an interesting energy to this scene that isn't necessarily about Kim's infraction. It's that Ensign Kim has the energy of like the middle schooler who's in love for the first time that thinks that this is the one. Right. Because when Kim says this isn't just fucking, this is a relationship. Janeway has been in many relationships, you would have to assume, and that this may be one of Kim's first serious ones is like part of the energy of it. Like, it's part of what makes what he says a little bit embarrassing. Like, yeah, when he defends it as a relationship, it has that energy of like, I'm going to love her forever and we're going to get married <laughs> and she's the one for me in a way that Janeway cannot believe. Right. Is that wrong? I mean, do you think it's stupid? She, she doesn't turn it around and say, you know, Tom Mervyn's was my first boyfriend. I met him four years ago. Yeah. For the clothes you love to live in. Doesn't go quite that way. Check back in with me when you own dogs together, Ensign Kim. (laughs) (laughs) 
Neelix has found uh, some some suspicious activity that he reports to Tuvok. Neelix has like actually gone and done a like a full investigation of his own. There's like a, a Varro like stowing away on the ship in a Jeffrey's tube. He's replicated a bunch of uh, like white chocolate candy bars, which <laughs> is the act of a desperate person. <laughs> white chocolate, the loneliest chocolate. I love the tight shot of the bag of Scooby snacks here. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. I thought for sure it would be a tube that Kim and Tal fucked in. Like, I was totally <laughs> thinking something else. Like, Tuvok, if you see a sock on the door in that Jeffrey's tube, you do not need to open that thing, man. Why would I want to? Be a bro. <laughs> Hold me down, Tuvok. Yeah. Hold me down the way Paris would. Yeah. Yeah, very surprising was this reveal for that reason. Yeah. Back on the Vero ship, Kim goes over to Tal's quarters and, you know, is talking to her about what a tough spot he's in. She's talking about how suffocated she feels on this ship. Like, she's really interested in stellar phenomena and is, like, looking at quasars and things on her view screen and talking about how interested she'd be in studying those things up close. And she's been forbidden from doing it because they've got this one big ship and it'd be too dangerous to you know, take it in close to a Mutara-class nebula or similar. Mm-hmm. And you start to get the sense that she's not super excited about the way her society is structured in the classic way of so many Star Trek characters. It's a really interesting articulation of the problem, right? Like, you think generationship, you think great technology, better technology than most other species technology that would protect you from most things in space. Right. But what she's describing is a situation where the value of the people and the tech is so high that it's not worth risking anything. Yeah. So they're like super risk averse and super insular. And the xenophobia is part and parcel of that. And she finds it suffocating, which is like probably a big part of why she's fucking an alien, you know? Yeah. They talk about the the mechanics of that, like the energy that he's exhibiting. And she's like, no, it doesn't hurt. It's just that's what happens when we fall in love in our over here. It's just glow warts. Yeah. Everyone's got them <laughs> over here anyway. Yeah. But you don't have the vaccine? <laughs> now it came out after I was a teenager, so I didn't get it. Kim asks if the process is reversible that Tal is describing. And that's such a cold thing to ask in a moment like this because the way tal describes the glow is that like it's a bond yeah like it means something very very special and she's like yeah it's reversible if we stay away from each other and kim's like all right well i guess i'll just go back to the ship and then stop short he does that thing very dramatic romantic flourish yeah you can't let me go babe can you We got to glow together. If I was ever having an intense emotional moment with my wife and I went and stood facing away from her and kept talking. Yeah. (laughs) I would look like a madman. Hey, guess what, Ensign Kim? You're playing games here. Cut it out. (laughs) Say what you mean and do what you say. Yeah. Yeah. She can't let him go. They get back to sucking face. Yeah. They're going to make each other glow, all right. 
And we crossfade to those white chocolate candy bars. <laughs> Getting very melty. Some dope on the table yeah. as uh, Chicote and Tuvok interrogate their little stowaway. And this guy has a bit of a dirty secret about the Vero ship and the oppressiveness of its society. And he wants asylum. He wants he he doesn't want to go back. He hates it over there. He wants them to take him with them. <laughs> this guy makes different choices than we usually get from a guy asking for asylum, right? Because he asks for asylum and then shuts the fuck up. Yeah. Like it seems like Chicote and Tuvac are not asking especially probing questions, but it seems like he touches his own third rail in his answers and he's like, oh, I better not talk about the movement. Yeah. Is that a side effect of being in such a closed society that he just doesn't? I think his blood sugar's all over the place after a diet of just eating white chocolate bars for a couple of days. This is the thing. Like kids <laughs> run away and they like get their provisions together <laughs> for the runaway and it's not healthy. It's not a balanced diet. Did you ever threaten to run away as a little kid like before he had the means? Uh, I, I ran away, but like I ran down the block, you know. I never made it out the driveway. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird, huh? Shocking. <laughs> <laughs> as hard as it was to take childhood me seriously in running away, how hard was it to take this guy seriously with his tight red overalls? When this guy mm. gets up to walk out, I'm like, this guy... <laughs> what? With the short sleeves? Come on. Yeah. I think this was a miss in the wardrobe department. There are hundreds more like me. I thought it was also a miss on Tricote's part to be like, we're going to tell them what you did. Like, yeah. The guy wants asylum. Like, yeah, don't narc on him. Fuck that. <laughs> fuck. Not cool. Yeah. Fine. I'll consider it. So, Tricote and Janeway have a weirdly romantic meeting. Where it seems to be like they're having either breakfast or dinner because it's kind of like moodily lit. Uh-huh. Like it's it's either the beginning or the end of the day. And they're, they're talking about like the rumors and what <laughs> Jepek says about. It's just many bowls of different broths in front of Janeway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she, she has like broth banchan in front of her. This is why you can't tell what meal it is because... I have broth for breakfast and lunch and dinner. <laughs> and then they kind of transition to talking about the descent among their own ranks. Yeah. Harry Kim and like, why did Janeway rip him so violently, the new asshole that she has ripped him? Yeah. Well, like, where is this coming from? Is it a general feeling about this form of disobedience or is this a punishment tailored to a Harry Kim specifically. Yeah. And Chakotay's like, I know that I really like overreacted by turning that guy in to the authoritarian <laughs> regime that he lives under in the previous scene. But in this scene, I'd like to pitch you on going a little bit easier on Harry Kim. Yeah. I mean, not only does that pitch fall on deaf ears, they fall on the ears of a captain who has instituted a policy of hard segregation. <laughs> Between the Varro and Starfleet. The Varro will be using their own replicators. <laughs> it will be better if they are separate but equal. 
Yikes. Yeah. I don't know, Janeway. <laughs> that seems really fucked up. Yeah. I've got to get that platinum. Put your platinum where your mouth is. I've, I've got to get that platinum. I think we've just drunk gold. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES. To save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain, that's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it. With Squarespace. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org.
In the corridor after whatever meal this is, Janeway tries to smooth things over with Jepek, who is as unhappy as you'd expect him to be for what happened between Kim and Tal. And something very interesting happens here in the dialogue, which is that Jepek tells Janeway that the effect of the glow wart is such that sometimes the Vero die from separating from their lover. Yeah. And I kept expecting this to be a part of the story. Yeah. Maybe Tal's life is in danger. Never brought up again. Or Ensign Kim's. And like, yeah, he's saying like, you don't know like what you're messing around with here. Like when you guys shove off, like she could fucking die, man. I wanted life-threatening stakes on this episode so bad from here. And when they were gone, it's like phantom life-threatening stakes. Like I'm projecting (laughs) onto it. They make it down to engineering where BLT and Seven of Nine have figured out why the microfractures. The microfractures are coming from synthetic parasites and they have like a little ultra close-up of these (laughs) dancing little like virus guys that are going around on the hull messing things up. It hardly seems newsworthy that they have very low confidence in the intelligence that these were created in a lab. Right. Yeah. It's like they have this as a as a theory and it gets leaked. Like why even put it in the report if you have that low confidence? Right. And it's like nobody else is persuaded by the things that gave you some confidence. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. So Jepek is incredulous about this. Sabotage on his ship? I don't think so. No fucking way. Back in Tal's quarters, she gets a, a call from Kim. <laughs> She's like literally flicking the bean to an image of one of these parasites on her iPad yeah. when she gets this call. <laughs> yeah. What is she into? Yeah. She's into Kim when he beams her to his shuttle. Kim's made up some excuse to get extra time yeah. in one Like, this is engineer shit, estimating an amount of time to fix a problem that you fix very quickly so that you have extra time to fuck an alien. (laughs) Is that what Scotty was doing all those years? Scotty did this all the time. (laughs) And he wants to fog up the transparent aluminum in the shuttlecraft. He really does. I must be crazy. I like you crazy. (laughs) He's fucking dick drunk. Like, he's so, he's, he's making such, like, unrational decisions at this point. Like, just doing everything in defiance of what he's been ordered. Uh, He cannot control himself around this girl. He does that thing, he just falls in love too fast. This is why he can't keep a relationship going on Voyager. All the the ladies on Voyager are like, geez, Kim, like, (laughs) we're keeping this light and fun. Yeah. (laughs) We're halfway through a movie and a dinner, and you're talking about, like, plans for next year? What are you... <laughs> we can't move in together. I don't even know your last name. <laughs> he also just knows that uh, the way to any girl's heart is to uh, take her for a drive in your Subaru brat, right? And also, like, this is out of the Picard playbook, right? Take her to a window with something pretty outside. Yeah. Really floods the basement. There's so much data. She loves that. This is. <laughs> this is so frustrating to me because, like, Where's the banging, Ensign Kim? What are you doing? <laughs> She's like all interested in hitting buttons and flying the shuttle and like seeing other places. And uh, her interest in science is maybe 
the thing that floods Kim's basement. Don't stop. You're beautiful when you're scanning. He's psyched about how into science she is, and he's also paranoid about being discovered. Like, yeah. The real thing going on here is like, was this worth it to take her out to do science? We're not even fucking. <laughs> this hardly seems worth it at all if I get caught. Yeah. And get caught he does. Like, yeah. She's sort of like almost in the middle of seducing him when they get nailed by Tuvok and the Delta Flyer. His brain's totally scrambled. Like, yeah. he's a rule follower through and through. But what happens, Ben, when the rule becomes pleasing that booty? It's like RoboCop getting uh, contradicting orders from OCP. Right, yeah. It's the booty-pleasing trolley problem, you know? (laughs) Best title. (laughs) Legendary title. (laughs) You know, like like when you find the the rare herb in the open world video game, like, (laughs) you just unlocked... Legendary title. Yeah, yeah, it's glowing purple, so you can tell. <laughs> so when they get back to Voyager, Tal is in big trouble. Jepek has hauled her in front of a McLaughlin group. Issue one. To accuse her of sabotage because he found a schematic for wooden shoes in her personal database. The evidence is pretty damning. Yeah. And her parasites are chewing specifically on the linkages between segments because, like, the ship is mostly made up of these habitat pods. And uh, it's a big, long, like... It's an elegant string of pearls configuration. Yeah. (laughs) What happens if you drop one? Right. And if one of them hits the floor, (laughs) that is bad news bears. (laughs) But, yeah, so she's one of these dissidents. She's part of this movement that has been discussed. And she wants the freedom to leave if she wants. She's trying to dismantle the ship. And they're like, cool, cool. Like, your political opinions are kind of irrelevant to us, the crew of the Voyager, but we're stapled to the side of this thing, and it's going to explode if the linkages get broken when they're pressurized. You know what I like about this scene is that it's not revealed that Kim was duped by Tal or used by her. Like, their relationship is sincere. Yeah. And he wasn't a mark. No. For this whole plan. And I like the restraint that this episode shows in not doing that to him. Like, if it were Chakotay, they would totally, like, pull down Chakotay's pants in this scene yeah. and, like, yeah. laugh at him. Right. They're not going to do that to Anton Kim. No. Like, and I think that there's, like, probably a temptation to explore it in that way. Like, the idea that she just liked him because of the novelty yeah. of an outsider and her natural attraction to novelty is why she has this political view and also why she was attracted to him and it's nothing about him personally but i don't really get that sense i think she actually likes him personally you know how we never get to explore the nebulars <laughs> well down there in ensign kim's pants is sort of a nebular of pubes. <laughs> and I've been all up in there. Yeah. It's a mutaran <laughs> pube nebula, if you will. <laughs> Jipek rides for the original text, you know? And I got to say, as anti-originalist as I am in general, he does make a heartbreaking case for the idea of like, you know, my grandparents helped build this ship. And 
like if we blow all of these pods apart, they would like that would be upsetting, right? Like all the work they did. Yeah. We're trying to go places. It's all ruined because you want to fuck Ensign Kim. <laughs> like, that's a bummer, right? <laughs> and, like, are you willing to kill people over this? Because it's not just about, like, making your point for the future mission of the generation ship. It's like, right. this is dangerous if stuff starts breaking that we can't fix. It's going to kill some people. Yeah. I wish they'd dealt with that a little bit more because this does happen. Spoiler alert. Yeah. And I, I didn't hear anybody saying like, you know, three casualties from that one or yeah. whatever. Like, yeah. but what she wants to do is as unilateral as what Jepek wants to do. Like it's either like a hundred percent altogether or a hundred percent broken apart into a million pieces. There's yeah. no like a medium broken apart. Yeah. It's so binary. It's like, it kind of has to be one or the other. Tal agrees to help evacuate the sections that are most affected by the damage as kind of a compromise here. But it's not like Tal is ordered to and accepts the order to, you know, kill the parasites or stop her plan. Yeah. Like, this is as far as she's willing to go. So everybody clears out, and it's just Janeway and Kim left in the room. And there's a really amazing one that goes from the conference room across the bridge and into Janeway's quarters that goes from... Janeway basically saying, like, Ensign Kim ought to be in the brig, and the only reason he's not is because he's in love, but he needs to be treated for that love condition in Six Bay, to the middle of the bridge where he is fucking yelling at her. Captain! I told you to report for treatment. I don't want treatment! Outraged that she would try and order him to do something like that. And following her into her office, I didn't know that these sets were all connected like this, but the camera can go all the way through. I think you can be a really big fan of this show and miss this sequence because the performances are so strong. Like it, it yeah. the performances are almost too good and that it obscures the greatness of the sequence because it's this is not just flat ground. Like you and I have done this a million times. Like you're on an airport runway or an office building or a factory and you're just steady camming along flat ground. This is like up over the hump in the middle of the bridge of the Voyager and back down again and through a door on yeah. either side without running into things, without bumping the steady cam in a way that would make you have to retake the shot. And you're staying with Garrett Wong long enough while he really delivers this emotional performance here. Like once you get to two with Ensign Kim and he's delivered all of this dialogue, it's an amazing bit of business. And like, the camera work is more complicated than that even because they're pulling focus back and forth between him and Janeway the entire time and yeah. getting closer and further away. Yeah. It is tack sharp the entire time. It is an incredibly dynamic sequence. It's great. It really serves the emotion of the scene because there is a, a huge peak of conflict between them. And man, like the choice as a director to block a scene like this is really intense because these performances have to be good for this scene to work and you're raising the stakes so much by having a really really complicated camera move in here where you can't hide a performance thing with an edit and you can't hide a camera mistake with an edit either like everything has to work flawlessly and this is a very long uncut thing that works when you're shooting for TV on a TV schedule 
you can't just assume that you will have time to get this right. Yeah. You need to be sure that you have the time to get it right. Or maybe you're shooting for the edit anyway. Like maybe you get a couple of these and you think you have it, but how do you really know until you're screening the footage? Right, because they have to go develop this film now. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) I also think too that like in this series specifically, there have been so many technological advances in effects work yeah that it is neat to be reminded of a flex that this show can do that is just all about skill production skill totally. and having the right people in the right departments for the right moment and this is an example of that like they could have done this on another episode in another scene but like the right combination happens here for this moment and it's worth celebrating. It's great. It really is. The point that Kim ends up making to Janeway toward the end of this scene is like, if you were lovesick over somebody and somebody said you could go get a hypo spray for it, would you do it? And... She doesn't really have a moment to respond because a banger gets dropped and this is the micro-fracture problem boiling over. For me, Ensign Kim, my methadone is Chicote. All I do <laughs> is have regular meals with him and it makes me not miss Tom Mervyn's at all. <laughs> have you considered Chicote for your problem? <laughs> that would be great, like... Captain, why are you forcing me to just hang out with Chakotay a lot? (laughs) I hardly know that guy. And he's my boss. And he's very disappointed in me. My boss's boss. (laughs) So they go back out on the bridge and girders are like flying away from the Vero ship. Chunks of them are hitting Voyager and they like can't unclamp themselves because... The docking controls are offline. Scary effects, huh? Yeah. And Ensign Kim like was in the middle of being confined to six bay for the rest of the mission, but uh, his utility it at the op station is great enough that Janeway asks him to go up there and help. And like just like him, Tal is also temporarily not in the hugest amount of trouble while the emergency gets dealt with. So, you know, we cut back and forth between the Vero Bridge and the Voyager Bridge as they deal with this, as the Vero ship kind of, like, comes undone. Were you bumped a little bit by the reversal on Kim's punishment and his being ordered to his station right before the moment where it's Kim's proposal that is taken for action about extending the structural integrity field around the Vero ship? Yeah. Did you feel a little bit, like he couldn't be trusted for his opinion in that moment because of just moments ago describing how fucked up he was over his love for Tal. Like maybe he would risk more than you ordinarily would in order to try to save Tal's life. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think why Janeway says, is that your idea or am I talking to your clarinet right now? (laughs) 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 Japek wants to, take advantage of their temporary enhanced structural integrity that the Voyager is providing by doing another energy sweep to try and kill more of these parasites. Mm -hmm. And Tal persuades him to let the disaster continue 
so that the Voyager can uh, can get away from the ship before they get damaged by more of these girders. Why don't they just bury on sweep the Spaceball One? Yeah, they're, I don't know. they're going at this all wrong because they have to get everybody off, and that's like the last thing they want, right? That's why. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Tal Saddle is over on the Voyager, isn't it? Right, right. It's perfectly normal. You know, most uh, most serious riders do have their own saddle. So we see all of the pods kind of coming away from the ship, and then when we come back, like. We're getting the captain's log while the pods that have all been separated are a little fleet now. And some of them are are banding together and staying together as a fleet, but others have decided to go off and do their own thing. Yeah. And Tal's is one of them. She's going to go do stellar science like she always wanted to. Yeah. She's going to explore different nebulars now. Yeah. (laughs) And different pubes. I was a little bit surprised at how easy it was for them to say goodbye to each other. Like, they're still glowing for each other. They haven't been apart that long. And this is one of the things that confused the idea that maybe Tal was using Kim and whether or not that's true. I thought the bond was stronger than this. But, I mean, the strongest force of all is Tal's instinct for exploration, I guess. Yeah. Like, that's... More interesting than any dicking that Kim could do, right? Yeah. It's her duty to explore that booty. Right. And this is the moment where I really thought we get a call back to whether or not this was life-threatening. Yeah, she just kind of tosses it off like, oh, yeah, there's medicine for that shit. I'll rub some dirt on it. It would be so interesting if the stakes were framed in that, like, I want to explore so much I would risk my life to do it. Yeah, I like that punch-up. Yeah, yeah. And Kim's like, well, the next time you see a cloud of poison gas in space, I hope you think of me. (laughs) If you run across a nebula that seems to be offering you everything you ever wanted. Yeah. (laughs) You know, one of the playful things I do after lovemaking is the Mutaran oven, where I just pull the sheets up over (laughs) our heads and rip one. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> gross we catch up with harry kim in six bay where the doctor has been trying to persuade him to take love withdrawal drugs mm-hmm. and uh harry just wants to feel the feels here is an emo mixtape <laughs> it's really done me a service you know when i had to break up with the vidian girlfriend i used to have <laughs> The captain is really surprised that Kim is no longer her golden boy. And I liked this scene a lot, like the discussion of Janeway having had this kind of special protective instinct around him and him saying, like, I've been on your ship for five years. Like, I'm not the slack-jawed rube that walked on board at the beginning of this series as, like, a first-time bridge officer I've got a lot of experience under my belt now. I'm a I'm I'm an evolving person, which is I think a conversation that a lot of people have to have with their boss, you know? Or a parent figure? Yeah. Because that was the tone that I detected from this, like she's felt protective and motherly of him, but now that I see you as a virile sexual person, <laughs> This whole situation has changed. (laughs) Because that's part of it too, right? It's not just that 
he disobeyed orders. It's it's that he disobeyed sexual orders. Right. And uh, she uh, gives him a shoebox full of rubbers, like a <laughs> residential assistant in a dormitory. She's like, you can take these rubbers out of this shoebox and just blast in here. <laughs> That's what she says. Uh, <laughs> uh, don't like to think about that. Sorry. <laughs> no one should have to think about that. The button on the episode is Kim having an after hours bum out in Neelix's restaurant and uh, gets paid a visit by Seven of Nine who retracts her prior statement that love is a disease. Yeah. And that to her, there is some nobility in the risk, right? She's learned that sometimes pain don't hurt. In the love department. (laughs) Sometimes pain can be pleasurable in certain circumstances, as long as there's consent, Mm -hmm. and that she can get on this level. Interesting that there is no, like, this is a very friendly, compassionate moment. This is like a solid thing she's doing in being there for Kim in a dark time. Yeah. And it's not loaded up with the immaturity of an Ensign Kim to be like, oh, hey. (laughs) Like, ready to rebound with her? I love that. Right. It's not like the only cure for being lovesick is motorboating some big old boobs. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad that it's it's more of a squared off, like, professionally yeah. kind moment instead of Kim trying to rebound. Because it also represents emotional growth for the character of Seven. Yep. You know? Yeah. Take off your clothes. So. Exactly. Good little ending, but was it a good little episode, Adam? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullets, I don't like friends, and I don't like you. It's funny, like, when this episode starts, like, gathering steam, it sure feels like a, oh, God, what did Kim stick his dick in this time (laughs) episode? Because there have been a couple of these. Like, this is a micro-genre inside Voyager. Totally. And I thought I'd seen all versions of that before. But I really love the moments between him and Janeway are so strong in this episode and give it such a different feeling that I think it it makes this one greater than the rest for that reason. I thought it was a strong episode. I mean, I'd rather do something else for an episode of Voyager. Like this type of episode isn't necessarily my favorite type, but of the micro genre, I think it's one of the better ones. And it made me think a lot about how Star Trek series depict romantic love and crush love specifically. Like that Ashley Judd character was sort of the apotheosis of hot girl nerd dude, Star Trek relationshiping. Uh-huh. And like no Star Trek episode could ever rise to that. I think maybe because Ashley Judd is just so like of her own universe. Right. And because I think you specifically saw yourself as a Wesley Crusher figure for a long time, I think that probably hit especially hard. But like, you know, way to keep going for it, Star Trek. Way to give us different versions of this. Yeah. Because it feels like a very real type of thing to happen on a voyage like this. So that's where I'm at with it. What about you? I generally agree. Yeah, I think there are a couple of missed opportunities in this episode. Like we talked about the stakes of it being like lethal to break off a 
steamy romance for these people and the like. Yeah, the, just don't say it if you're not going to do anything with it. Yeah, and it would have been such an interesting moment. Like, how could Kim have ever predicted that he he was like putting her life in danger by right. pursuing a romantic thing with her? That's such a heavy, interesting idea that, yeah, it feels like the episode would be way better if that line was just clipped out. Yeah, if it was all about the pleasure of the glow and not of the uh, the danger of its absence. Yeah, and uh, I think that the repressive society, repressive because it has to be society of the ship is also really interesting and a cool idea that I think they did a really nice job with. But um, yeah, I think um, overall, I really enjoyed the episode. Hey, that's great. I'm happy to hear it. Do you want to uh, get into the priority one inbox, my friend? You know, priority ones make me glow, Dan. Mm. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Our first priority one message is of a promotional nature. Goes like this. Nobody can say for sure whether Cash Grabbers is the first indie game to deploy the greatest gen bump. But what my theory presupposes is, maybe it is? Cash Grabbers is a relaxing cartography puzzle game coming soon to Steam. With a chill soundtrack, a laid-back pace, and no enemies or timers, it's 30 levels of pure orienteering fun. A few tools, a map, and your brain are all you'll need to map the cash, find the cash, grab the cash, cash grabbers. Oh, C-A-C-H-E. Yeah, like uh, when uh, people like hide something in the woods and you have to use like GPS to find it. Right, or that thing you used to have to clear on a PC to make it run faster. Right, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure your mom doesn't find out what you've been looking at on the internet. Exactly. That's C-A-C-H-E. All FODs everywhere can search Steam for cash grabbers or head to bear, that's B-E-A-R, minimumgames.com, bareminimumgames.com for cash grabbers. Wishlist it today. That's great. I love a little wordplay in my video games. Yeah, bare minimum cash grabbers. That's really cool. I love that we have real-life game developers in the audience. You play in Steam games, Ben? I don't know what Steam is exactly. Is it just like a, it's a program for downloading programs? It That's what it is exactly. Yeah. It's a, okay. And, and it's very video game diverse. Cool. I should check it out. I will definitely play cash grabbers. For sure. Enjoy that greatest gen bump. Ben, our second priority one message is from Laura. It is to Adam, Bree, Michael, Carl, Kit, Jake, Anne-Marie. And of course, my favorite podcast co-host, Jaffer. Message goes like this. Big thanks every FOD at last year's STLV for being the chillest group to hang with on my very first trip to Vegas. Oh. Bigger thanks to Adam for not kicking me out of the group when I outed myself as a B5 podcaster. <laughs> Babylon 5 is, is what Laura is referring to. Mm. I'll be having a drone of my own this year in April. Wow. But I hope to be recovered enough to join you at the 57-year mission in August. Laura, you were such a great hang. I totally remember hanging out with you, and I don't hold it against you. 
that you're a Babylon 5 podcaster. Not one bit. Congratulations on uh, on the baby on its way as well. That's really great. Laura, not, not holding any ill will against me for reserving the cabana right next to the DJ station <laughs> during the annual STLV Greatest Gen Hang yeah. and pool party. You know, this is not the first time somebody has gotten a P1 shouting out everybody that was in that cabana. Yeah. And I just want to say, for the record, I was in that cabana. I FaceTimed in. I yeah. made an inflatable pool in my backyard. You did. I made myself a ridiculous tiki beverage and got in that pool so that I could FaceTime in to the fucking cabana party. And we, we screamed at each other and couldn't hear a goddamn thing. <laughs> Adam, our last priority one message here is from Notorious FOD, and it's to Benjamin R. Harrison. That's me. Goes like this. As I always say when faced with a blank stare after a bit, the best jokes are the ones you have to explain. So I'm dropping another hundred scarves to tell you, Ben. Dr. Bashir would sleep in your bathtub because you're a self-confessed bathtub urinator. Why don't you get my jokes? DMX drop. God damn it! I know I'm funny! Why doesn't everyone laugh? Fuck! Ben. Ben. When did you admit to being a bathtub urinator? I don't think I would urinate in the bathtub when I was, like, in a bath, but I would do it in a shower. Huh. I don't like thinking of that. Yeah, but it's normal. It's fine. It's fine. What do you think happens? <laughs> the pee stays and all the water just goes around it down the drain? No. <laughs> <laughs> I could say no 200 times and not make it sound like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that maybe I don't remember when this was said to me or in what context, mm -hmm. but maybe I just wasn't thinking about a bathtub full of pee at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, probably not. You weren't probably thinking of every permutation of a pissing in the bathtub story. Right. And all the bits you could make out of it. I think that uh, one thing I've learned from Star Trek is that context is for kings. Mm. Indeed. I've also learned at Arcadia Ego, mm. part two. <laughs> I think you're fine, Notorious FOD. You're, you're doing fine. You're doing fine. Everything's fine. Also fine is the feeling we get from all of those who purchase a Priority One message. Whether it's a promotional message or a personal message, message of any kind goes a long way in supporting the production of our show. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda! It's super basic to say Harry Kim, <laughs> but like, who else could it be? Who else could it possibly be? Yeah. I. There's no other. Like, jaking a shuttle to yeah. go on the tryst after you've been in so much trouble already? Yep. Is very outside the box behavior for Harry Kim. So he's got to be the Shimoda, right? Yeah. I couldn't live with myself if I had chose anyone else. You shouldn't live with yourself. I wouldn't live with myself. <laughs> Adam, the next episode of Star Trek Voyager is season five, episode 17, Course, colon, Oblivion. <laughs> After Paris and Torres tie the knot, the ship and its crew start to disintegrate 
on the molecular level? Oh, geez. That's some bad wedding luck, huh? <laughs> That's worse than losing your ring while boogie boarding. You know, people disintegrated on a molecular level the night before my wedding, and I thought for sure it would happen the day of. Yeah. But uh, yeah, weather held off. Nice. Hey, that's great. It was, it was great. <laughs> that's all you want. To find out how we will be recording that episode, I have uh, gone over to gach.biz slash game, where we keep the game of buttholes, the will of the caretaker. We are on square 41. We're just ahead are a Bronzone square Ooh. and a Coconono square. Either one in play. All right. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. We go ahead and roll this bone. All right. I rolled a six. Tula! Did I win? Hardly. Jumping us past both of those to square 47, which means next week will be a regular episode, Adam. Wow. Wow. Big roll. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> that was a little Huel hazard, wasn't it? Yeah, you got a little California's gold with your reaction to that. <laughs> I am very excited about next week's episode. Sounds fun. Looking forward also because it's the Max Fun Drive next week. And uh, that will be when we turn to you, our listeners, really going after some new supporters this year. So if you haven't supported yet and you've got five bucks to spare for good podcasts, get ready. Yeah. Yeah, it's a really important time for us. And uh, we are looking forward to telling you why that is. We sure are. And I think there are going to be a few surprises that you'll definitely not want to fast forward through. We're going to approach things a little differently this year. And I think you're going to like the difference. Mm. I'm excited for it. And uh, I'm also always excited to thank all of the folks that already support and thank some of our staff and uh, collaborators. Of course, we got to thank Wendy Pretty the producer and editor of this program. Got to thank Bill Tilly, the card daddy. Got to thank Adam Ragusea, who made our original theme music, and Dark Materia, who let us use the Picard song years ago now. All of those folks greatly appreciated. Nick Dittmore, who made our show art and helps us out with podshop.biz. Hey, all of the artists who have helped us with merch on podshop.biz, Miriam artists we've worked with over the years. Totally. Have helped us put great things in there. Indeed. With that, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager where Adam and I start coming apart at the molecular level. Oh, finally. We're not even drunk. Finally, sweet release. <laughs> You eat pieces of shit for breakfast? No. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.